0: going to finish the third Gospel this morning, and then next week we'll get on to the last one. Um, We're at the very end here, Jesus' ministry in and near Perea. Perea was on the eastern side of the Jordan, and then finally His sacrifice and triumph. (coughs) So, um, chapter 17, teaching on Forgiveness. Part of this we've had before, and what <clears throat> what I'm going to do today is primarily discuss pa- passages that are not in Matthew and Mark, only in Luke. And so the f- part about the stumbling blocks we've had before, but at the end, in verse four, if if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, "I repent, forgive him," we've had that before. But then the apostles said to the Lord, "Increase our faith." This is something new, and they they listen to this, they say, increase our faith. What did the Lord say? So it doesn't take a lot of faith is what He's saying, huh? Um, I still think they're right. Increase our faith. (laughs) Oh my... And then he tells a parable that I think is designed to show that same thing. Now this is not something that we relate to very well because it's a parable about slavery. There's a slave you own and what's he been doing all day? Yeah, so he's been working out in the field. But he comes in and so when he comes in do you say, come in and sit down to eat? He's a slave. So what do you do instead? Give him more to do. him to do. Tell him to fix the dinner. And then afterwards he gets to eat. So then when it's all over, do you thank the slave? Yeah. Somebody was required to do Yeah. And what's the conclusion? We're the slave. We're the slave, yeah. We're unworthy slaves. We just need to do what God tells us to do. All right, then um, in verse 11 it says he was on his way to Jerusalem. He was passing between Samaria and Galilee. So he's going from Galilee. He wants to get down to here, to Jerusalem. And he's in this region here, the border between the beige and the green, between Samaria and Galilee. I'm not sure that it was just a a real hard and fast border, but uh, I'm pretty sure that people today don't know exactly where it was. But interesting enough, he did not actually go through Samaria this time to get to Jerusalem, because just a little while later we find him in Jericho. The only way he would have gone to Jericho was be coming down this side. Um, so, um, well, actually, there's another possibility which I should bring up. He may have come this way to get down to Jerusalem and then gone across. And Luke just left out everything in between. But the only reason I think it mentions where he was at this time, and Luke doesn't mention where he was very often, was because of who talked to him. There was ten guys that talked to him. What was their problem? Leprosy. Leprosy. One of them though was what? In addition to being having leprosy, he was a Samaritan. I think the other nine were, were Jews. They're right in the border and, and so you could get either one. you got ten guys hanging together that were some of each. And they they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So what do you tell them to do? They'll go to the, the temple and present yourself to you. Yeah, which was what was commanded in the law. If you got healed of leprosy, that was what was commanded. Of course, they weren't healed until they left and they were on their way and then they got healed. And then what happened? Well, they were all quite They were they were delighted. This was I mean, wow. So what they do? Well, nine went on their way. Yeah. One guy came back and he fell on his face giving thanks to him, and he was what? He was the Samaritan. Yeah. Jesus says we're not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Kinda reminds you of the, the parable of the. Good Samaritan, but at this time it was a real life situation, not made up. Um, Then, um, he predicts uh, his coming and destruction of Jerusalem, which we've had that in Matthew and in Mark. But he adds one thing that, that I noticed that wasn't in there, and that was verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. What is there about Lot's wife to remember? She turned back. Yeah, the angel said, don't look back. And they, when they were on their way, she turned back. And then what happened to her? She, turned into a she, she got turned into a pillar of salt. So in verse 33, the conclusion is, whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Chapter 18 begins with a couple of parables. And do you remember last time I I mentioned that there's a particular topic that Luke spends more time on than any of the other Gospel writers. And what is that? Prayer. Prayer. Yeah, Luke has more to say about prayer than than any of the others. And this one, he says, he was telling a parable to show that at all times they should do what? And not... Yes, pray and not lose heart. And so he tells a parable about a woman who goes to a judge to get um, legal protection from her opponent. What kind of judge is this guy? Yeah, yeah, so the artist here is showing him, you know, checking out his little money box there <laughs> while she's trying to get justice. So there's no point in appealing to this guy. She's not going to get any justice from him, right? Well, (laughs) this is one of these parables that's just kind of—it's—I would say I, I would call it over the top in that Jesus is comparing God to just about the worst thing you could do. I mean, the only reason this judge gives the woman justice is because he's afraid she's going to wear him out, pestering him. So he says, okay, I'll go ahead and do it, you know, just to get her off my back. And the conclusion is keep praying to God to get what you, what you need. <laughs> and, and, I mean, Jesus has done this before. I mean, we, he just. Um, <clears throat> the point he's trying to make is how silly are we when we don't think that prayer will work? I mean, if pestering an unrighteous judge works, how much more God? Who cares about us? <laughs> oh. Then he has a second parable. And this one in verse 9, he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So we got these two guys in the temple. This is an artist's imagination here. I doubt that it really looked like that. but. Um, the, first, the guy in the front is a Pharisee, and what's, what's his attitude in prayer? He's done all the right things. He's done the right things, yeah, and he knows who to thank for that. Thank God that he's not like these other people. The guy in the back, who is he? Tax collector. Yeah, he's a tax collector, and what's his attitude? I sound unworthy. Yeah, he wasn't even willing to lift up his eyes to heaven. He's beating his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Which one he got here? Yeah, he only listened really to the public. <laughs> um, then. In verse 17, this is not unique to Luke. In fact, I think both Matthew and Mark may have mentioned this. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Immediately after that, the rich young ruler comes to talk to him. What should I do? And this is not the only one of the Gospels that puts these two together. Jesus telling about receiving the kingdom like a child then... The rich young ruler showing up and I think the rich young ruler is an object lesson in that command to receive the kingdom like a child. The rich young ruler didn't do that and he failed because of that all right chapter 19 it begins with he entered Jericho and was was passing through um, And down here is Jericho. He's on his way to what city? Yeah, yeah. This is his last trip to Jerusalem. So he just come across the Jordan, got to Jericho, and there was a guy. and This is only in Luke. A t- chief tax collector named what? Yeah, Zacchaeus. And anybody that grew up in Bible classes knows the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. All that he was short. He had to climb up in a tree to see Jesus. But Jesus knew about him and. What did Jesus say when he got there, to the tree? Uh, he would uh, uh, visit his house, so he choose to get down. And, uh, yeah, quickly, uh, <laughs> he advised himself to Zacchaeus's house. Zacchaeus was really happy about this, <laughs> uh, but there was a bit of a problem. Other people were complaining about what? He well, was a tax collector, he was a senator. Yeah, and, and, and not just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector, yeah. so he was kind of a chief senator. <laughs> <clears throat> And but at some point, and I don't know whether, I don't know whether Luke is condensing this or whether this happened before Jesus even got to his house. because um, in verse seven it says, "When they saw it, I don't know if they saw Jesus saying this or when they saw Jesus actually in the house, but at some point, Zacchaeus showed a very different attitude than what you would expect. What did he say in verse eight? give half his possessions to the four Yeah. if I have the I'll give Four? Yeah. that word Someone gets up in front and says, if I have offended anybody in this congregation, I hope you'll forgive me. <laughs> no details. <laughs> well... Um, I would guess what he's saying is that he's not aware that he has, but he wants it known to everybody in the city if they think they've been defrauded by him, please come and tell him because he's willing to do what the law says and pay them back four times what he's stolen from them. Oh. And that is after he's given half of everything he has. Before. Yeah, so he must not think he's defrauded too many people or else he's going to go bankrupt. <laughs> And what did Jesus say about this? Salvation has come to this house. Yeah, today salvation has come to this house. Yeah, The man has repented. He has turned in faith to God. And that's an example of how we have to turn in faith to God. Then we have a parable in verse eleven that is only in Luke, although it looks similar to one we've had before. What does this parable remind us of? Yeah. The talents. Yeah. Parable of the talents. You know, one guy gets um, what is it, ten, five, and one? Is that how it works in the talents? Yeah. Okay. But in, in this one, which, which in this translation is the parable of the ten minas, how much do the servants get? One. Yeah, they get a total of ten. They get one apiece because there's ten servants. So they get equal amounts. So the one parable in, in Matthew the talents, they get different amounts. And they, of course, produce different results with the different amounts. In this one, they each get the same amount. Do they all get, produce the same results? Alright, what's the first guy do? He makes ten more. What's the second guy do? Five. He makes five more. What's the reward for the first guy? Ten He's put over ten cities, so he gets more responsibility. What's the reward for the second guy? He gets, a, he gets put over five cities. What's the third guy make with his mina? <laughs> I don't want to be him in the day of judgment. Master, here's your mina, which I put away in a handkerchief. Boy, he got, this master doesn't like him. By your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. <laughs> so they take away his mina and give it to who? The guy that had Ten. I tell you to everyone who has more shall be given, but from the one who does not have even what he has does have shall be taken away so so there's a sense in which every one of us has some sort of an equal opportunity I mean I understand with the peril of the towns we have diff- there's differences, but there's some areas where we are, we all have the same opportunity, but we may do different things with it. Um, what Jesus is looking for is is some profit. It's some fruit of our of our work. And different people can may produce different amounts, but he's not going to put up with someone that just puts it in the handkerchief and says, you know, here you can have a back. The other thing in this parable, this is kind of an odd parable because it combines two different stories. Um, because why was the guy gone for such a long time? Yeah, he was going to be king. He had to go somewhere else to get the king and then going to come back. Now, this actually happened in real history. King Herod did go, go to Rome to ask to be made king. And the citizens of Judea actually did send an embassy after him telling the Romans, we don't want him to be king. It's, this is exactly the way it happened. Um, but who's an old man and it represent in the parable? When? It represents Jesus, yeah. Who are the citizens that don't want Him to be king? The Jews, yeah. And I think it may apply to some people today too. I mean, a lot of people don't want Jesus to be king. And the end result, um, He says, bring them here and slay them in My presence. That's not... Happy ending when if we refuse the king, the god is decided to gonna be the king. Um, let me see where I am here. This is chapter nineteen. Verse thirty eight, I think we, we had something very similar to this, but I wanna mention anyway, this is this is in the section called uh, the triumphal entry. Um, Right here, we're at the triumphal entry riding in on the donkey, which, of course, Manzi and Mar both had. But um, in verse 38, they're shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. What does that remind you of that we've had earlier in Luke? At His birth, the angels were, were saying, and let's go back, that's chapter 2, verse 14. The angels were saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom He is pleased. So they announced, the angels announced the begin. Now the people are saying it, and I don't think the people realize how accurate their words are and in what a strange way their words will be fulfilled. There will be peace in heaven, there will be glory in the highest, but it's not the way they think. They think there's going to be this wonderful thing because they'll crown Jesus the king and he'll sit on the throne in Jerusalem. In fact, they're going to crucify him. Um. And then at the end of the chapter, He, he cleanses the temple. Again, we had, we've had that before. So I'll go on into chapter 20. And pretty much the whole chapter is, uh, is a repeat of what we've had in Matthew and Mark. They ask where His authority comes from. And Jesus asks them in turn what? Uh, I, uh, John the Baptist. I, I yeah. Refer- yeah, where did John the Baptist baptism come from? And they proved their dishonesty in their answer. Then he told a parable of the vine growers. We've had that before. But it's a parable basically saying God wants fruit from His kingdom. God has, had given His kingdom to the Jews. They weren't bearing the fruit. So He's going to take it away from them. Then they try to trap Him with a question about what? Taxes to Caesar. Yeah, paying taxes to Caesar. And not only does he get out of the trap, but he, he teaches something that, um, in such a way that people know it to this day. I mean, it's just so familiar. You know, everyone knows render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. <laughs> um, then the, the Sadducees tried to stump him with their question, which was about what? Resurrection. resurrection. They don't believe there's a resurrection. They had figured out a way it, well, how it couldn't happen. So he answers them, and then Jesus asks them a question they can't answer. What's his question? Under. Well, in the Psalms David said the Lord said to my Lord. So the, the Messiah be the son of David. Yeah. How can the Messiah be the son of David if David calls him Lord? They didn't ask him any more questions after that. (laughs) He finally concludes in verse 46, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And... He just finishes talking about devouring widows' houses. And lo and behold, we have the poor widow's sacrifice <laughs> here in, in chapter 21. This is again is unique to Luke. Um, got a picture. <laughs> this poor widow is putting in two small copper coins. And... Jesus is sitting there at the the treasury and he's seeing all these people putting in money bags, you know, bringing bags of gold, and this woman bringing these two little coins. Um, And who put in the most? She did. How much did she put in? All she had. All she had. Last week we had a verse where Jesus said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. This week we've got a a, a story that says Jesus is looking at the people that sacrifice, not at how much money they give. And I don't know whether us rich Americans can handle this teaching. It's a concern. I've thought about the... Um, I mean, we have a collection every Sunday. Um, we put in money. But nearly all of that money is, goes to ourselves. You know, it just Most of the money goes for the building. It's a necessary thing. We, we've got to have a building. We don't want it to look like a trash heap in the community. have got to fix the steps, all that. But I just wonder I mean, how often do we have an opportunity even to sacrifice for God? Uh, the, the times I can think of that where we, had, where we came the closest were, were the collections we made for those poor Christians in Zimbabwe. but you know a couple of times out of how many years it's, um, it's a concern. Um, there's no I mean we're not spending our treasure on anything that would inspire anybody to want to make sacrifice. There's no challenge. It, just, it concerns me. I, I'm, I'm just saying this because I read what I read last week. I read what I read this week. Um, you know, maybe we won't have to read it next week. <laughs> John? Uh, and that, of course, we're not precluded from <coughs> being generous individually on uh, yeah. those... Those things that we think move us particularly. Uh, when we give as a, as a congregation, there are problems because all of us have to agree that this is a, a good thing to do. And typically, what it comes down to is we don't all agree, so only those who think they want to give into that particular. And we take a separate collection. So we're not sure. Well, and the one for Zimbabwe was a separate collection. Right. Each person would, had, had a chance to decide do I want to help these Christians or do I not want to? I think probably practical thing is a greater part of our generosity would be an individual responsibility. And uh, uh, there would be peculiar situations where where an entire church would be responsible. It could, but this lady was giving into a treasury, treasury of the temple. And when we read in the book of Acts and and later on in the epistles about Christian's generosity, ninety percent of it is to a common collection. They were doing it as a group. Yeah. Other thoughts? Um. <coughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's a good word. It's a test for us in terms um, to the planet not to, uh, to forget about the film, not to forget about, or not to just think about ourselves. Uh, it's good out but, I hope we all have to do you today. as we take care of the family here, but I think there's a lesson is the Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Jesus had an awful lot to say about rich people and it wasn't very good. Yeah. My guess is that every one of us lives as well physically as that rich guy did. I think our food is is as good as, as food he had. Um, yeah, it's a it's a matter of concern. All right, let's see here. Um, chapter twenty one. The rest of chapter twenty one um, we've had before. Um, Verse 10: Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against a kingdom. He's he's talking about the destruction to come on Jerusalem. And um, there's not much that's unique there. So I'm going to move on to um, chapter 22, and we come to the final Passover. Um, and there are a number of things that I mean. The story is familiar. We've had the story in Matthew, we've had the story in Luke, but there's just little details that Luke puts in that we don't have uh, in the other passages. I mean, the the basic story is simple enough. Satan entered into Judas. He went and made this deal in advance. Um, Jesus uh, assigned Peter and John to prepare the Passover. He did it in such a way that Judas wouldn't know where it was. Until he got there, and then of course, you know, he doesn't have a cell phone, he can't say, Hey, you know, come to this address. So Jesus was able to have the Passover with his disciples in peace. Um, the one detail and this and this one I think confuses a lot of Christians. In 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 the supper is in verse seventeen. When he'd taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. Um and then in verse 19, he takes bread. And people read that and if, they don't, if they're not careful, they think, why is he doing it backwards? You're supposed to do the bread first and then the cup. But the cup in verse 17 was not part of the Lord's Supper. Uh, the cup that was part of the Lord's Supper is in verse 20. In the Passover meal in Jesus' day, um, they, by tradition, they drank four cups of wine. This was wine mixed generally two to one with water. Two parts water, one part wine, sometimes three to one. Um, it was because it was alcoholic and they and they were they watered it down so that you wouldn't be getting drunk off of it. They had these four cups would be just passed around. I mean back in those days people didn't worry about germs, they didn't know about germs, they just each wanted drink from the cup. And the, the Jews had, a, they had ceremonies when they took each cup. I think verse 17 was probably the third cup and verse 20 was then the last cup of the Passover. At the very end of the meal, he instituted um, he this Lord's Supper and used the, the elements that were right there. They had unleavened bread there. They had uh, wine there. He used these two elements to institute the Lord's Supper. Um, but the, but the extra cup in advance is the one that throws people off. And Luke is the only one that mentions that. All right. Um, then the argument of who was the greatest, that, that's told in the other Gospels as well. And predictions that Peter's going to betray Him. Not betray Him, deny Him. Judas betrayed Him, Peter just denied Him. But one thing new is in verse 35. He said to them, When I sent you out without money belt and bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? They said, No, nothing. And he said to them, But now, whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Likewise also a bag, and whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. For I tell you, that which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with transgressors. For that which refers to me has its fulfillment. They said, Lord, look, here are two swords, and he said them, it is enough. I have no idea why they had swords there, but <laughs> when Jesus said get a sword, they said, Hey, we already got it. <clears throat> they went out then to Gethsemane. Again, most of, the, most of this story is the same as that we've had. Um, except that um, in verse forty three verse forty three and forty four are both unique to Luke. An angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. That's new. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Luke, who is a medical doctor, is the only one who has recorded this. And um, you may have heard—I mean, doctors have, have recorded that this happens sometimes when someone is in, in intense stress—that their sweat actually. Is red. It actually has blood in it, um, and most people take that to mean that he really was um, that the sweat that he was sweating was really bloody sweat from the stress, which doesn't surprise me. He was certainly. I mean, who's ever gone through the stress he went through? Um, then another thing: when um, when he got arrested, you remember Peter pulled out his sword and whacked off the slave's ear. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not give the name of the guy that whacked off his ear. But Luke adds one detail that the, none of the others mention. In verse 51, Jesus' answered, said, stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. So Luke the doctor is watching out. <laughs> Wants us to know that he got his ear put back. <clears throat> John tells us the name of the slave even, but we'll get to that in a few weeks. (coughs) And then (coughs) one more thing that's unique in Luke. (coughs) After Peter denied Jesus a third time, verse 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. None of the other Gospels mention that. (coughs) And you think about that and you think, oh my. I mean, here Peter has been watching Jesus being abused, spit on, beaten, all this. <coughs> and then without thinking, he's gotten himself into a situation doing exactly what Jesus said he would and then Jesus just looks at him. And Nothing he can say. Just... All right. In chapter 23, we've got trials. Um, well, I skipped one. At the end of chapter 22, he had the trial before the Sanhedrin. Luke, Luke didn't, <coughs> didn't give us a lot of details, details about the others, but the Sanhedrin, which was in the morning. Then they brought him to Pilate, still in the morning. And again, very similar to Matthew and Mark. Except that in verse 6, when Pilate heard that he was a Galilean, what did he do? Yeah. And Luke's the only one that records this. <coughs> So he had a trial in front of Herod. <clears throat> but unusual trial, because what did Jesus say during the trial? Nothing. He didn't say a word. What was the attitude of Herod toward him? Yeah. Not despised. <laughs> yeah, mocking and despising. They dressed him up in a gorgeous robe and sent him back. I mean, just, <clears throat> just trying to embarrass him. <clears throat> um. But it had one good thing came out of it. What? Herod and Pilate were reconciled. Jesus made peace between Herod and Pilate. <laughs> good front good buddy. Yeah. Um. well the rest of that the of Pilate's speech is pretty much the same. He went out, Simon they, they grabbed Simon to carry the cross. We've had him before. But there was a large crowd of women who were mourning and lamenting Him. And this is unique to Luke. In verse 28, Jesus turning to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for Me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs it never bore, and the breasts it never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry?" Now, the best explanation I've heard of this kind of parable about when, when the tree is green versus the tree is dry is firewood. I don't I can't guarantee that's what Jesus was talking about, but I mean if you're gonna burn firewood, which would you rather burn? Greenwood or, or or dry wood? Because the green just doesn't burn very well. And in the case of Jesus, Jesus was innocent and they were treating him like that. What's gonna to happen to the guilty people? I think that's what he's talking about. And if you in the previous verses, he's clearly talking about the destruction that the Romans are going to bring on Jerusalem. They had managed to talk the Romans into killing an innocent person. There was the green tree. What are the Romans going to do when the whole nation is guilty? Um, Then they come and they crucify Him. We've had that, of course. But verse 34, Luke's the only one that gives what I think is probably His very first um, statement on the cross. How many statements did Jesus make on the cross? Seven, yeah. Now, in order to get seven, you have to have kind of a a very brief conversation to count as one when He said to... um, said to Mary, "Behold your son and to John, behold your mother." That's one one statement. <clears throat> but no one gospel writer has all, all those statements. In fact, very few of the statements are ever recorded in more than one gospel. It's, it's, it's strange the way that works. You have to put them together. And this one's only in Luke, so yeah, I can't prove the order. This has to happen fairly early, obviously, but I can't prove whether it happened before he talked to John about Mary or whatever. Um, But he says, Father... And I I find it interesting, the very first word on the cross is Father. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Then we have the mocking of the others. soldiers mocking as well. Then we have a story again that's not in any other Gospel. Verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanging there was hurtling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other and rebuking him, said, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And what did He say back? Yes, I say you, you'll be with me in paradise. Yeah, you'll be with me in paradise. <clears throat> Luke records the last two converts that Jesus made before His death. This is obviously the last one. The one before that was Zacchaeus. Those are the, the last two that are mentioned in the, in the Gospels, converts. And this is just such a heartwarming story. I mean I I don't have time to spend much on it, but I mean it just is such a I mean such a tragic setting and yet such a happy outcome that a guy who's lived his whole life as a criminal, as far as we can tell, and he's now being put to death for for being a criminal, is the very end. He turns in faith to Jesus and asks to be remembered in his kingdom. One of the few happy things Jesus had happened to him on the cross, I would say. Then Luke also records the last statement of Jesus on the cross. And what's he begin, what word does he begin that one with? Again, Father. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The Old Testament does not call God Father very much. Jesus is the one that introduced that to us. Um, and he lived it. Um, all right. Final chapter, chapter 24, first day of the week. The women came, as is of course recorded in Matthew, Mark. The stone was rolled away. Verse 3, But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Alright, here's a question. Sort of a trivia question maybe, but how many times in the Gospels do you find the phrase, Lord Jesus? One thing I, I I can't tell you how many times, but I can tell you not a single time before His resurrection... He's never referred to that until after He's raised. In the book of Acts, all kinds of times. Um, in the Epistles and all, but this, I think this is the very first time in the, in the order of our Gospels where we find the term Lord Jesus. And then we have a fairly lengthy story in verse 13. Two disciples are on the way to what town? Emmaus, yes, which is about seven miles west, a little bit north of Jerusalem. (coughs) I've got a picture of it. I'll show it in just a minute. I want want to point out, if you look from Emmaus, of course in this area, you're kind of up in the mountains. If you look down in the direction of Joppa, today, somewhere in this area, I don't know exactly where, is the city of Tel Aviv. I think it kind of overlaps a whole bunch. Um, And the next picture... If you look way back there, that's Tel Aviv we're looking at. Um, this valley in between. This area here on the left, that's, those are the ruins of Emmaus. Doesn't look like much. but um, These two guys are on the way. I don't know why they're going to Emmaus, but that's where they had their supper with Jesus except I don't think Jesus ate anything with them. Um, he disappeared after He said thanks. Um, they were apparently disciples of his. They would have known him anywhere, <laughs> except that their eyes were were <laughs> closed by God, so they didn't recognize him. They were in verse six, and they were pre- prevented from recognizing him. So he walks up like he's a stranger, and, and you know, well, what are you guys talking about? You know. <laughs> and so they bring him up to date. He he's some stranger that doesn't know about Jesus that got crucified, and then. And then the rest of the journey he spends teaching them what? Yeah, the Old Testament, Old Testament scriptures prophesied that the Messiah was gonna was going to suffer and die. He's still talking to them like he's a stranger. He's just a stranger that knows the Bible really well. <laughs> and then they're just you know lapping it up that wow, you know, this is very interesting. So they get to Emmaus and they urge him, you know, you've know, got to stay with us. So he comes in and he then he took the bread and blessed it. What does it mean, he blessed the bread? Gave thanks for it, yes. And then he break, broke it and began giving it to them. And they recognized him. <laughs> so then he started doing that. They knew who he was and then he vanished. What did they do then? They immediately went back. Didn't matter how late it was, we got to, we got to tell the others we've seen Jesus. They got back there and it wasn't such a big surprise, was it? <laughs> Jesus had already appeared to Simon Peter, and while they're talking, what happens? Huh? <laughs> Jesus appeared to all of them, yeah, um, including I guess those two guys, um, and um, what did they think they were seeing when they saw him. A ghost, yeah. Um, and what did he do to show him he wasn't a ghost? He showed him his hands and feet and that wasn't even enough for him, I think, because he had did one, he ate, yeah, he got any food, you know, so he ate some food so they would understand that he wasn't a ghost, and then he talked with them. And in verse forty six, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And then He led them out to Bethany and what happened? He lifted up His hands to bless them and then <laughs> yeah, up He went. He was carried up into heaven and they went back. After worshiping Him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they were continually in the temple praising God. Of course, that was just for the first few days because in <laughs> you know, the book of Acts, we find out that within not much over a week, the Holy Spirit comes on them. and Well, that's the book of Acts. Um, any last questions or comments on the book of Luke? Alright, well, I appreciate everyone's help this morning. Okay, business meeting, 4.30. Got it.